you turn with me to the passage on which today's teaching is based. It comes from Genesis chapter 27. It's also printed in page uh, 8 in your bulletins. What I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to take a couple of verses prior to what's printed in your bulletins today, and then I'm going to read, and then you guys can catch up with me on verse 18, and we'll go from there together, okay? Um, <clears throat> I'm going to start Genesis chapter 27. I'm going to start in verse 14, all right? Living on the edge here together, all right? So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, put them on her younger son Jacob. She also covered his hands and a smooth part of his neck with the goatskins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. Verse 18, he went to his father and said, my father? Yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac said to his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate, and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. And this is God's word. For the past several months, we've been looking at the book of Genesis. <clears throat> And the book of Genesis teaches us that the problems of our world today, they're so complex, they're so nuanced and complex, sin, that there's no amount of charity, there's no ed- amount of education or intelligence or human effort by itself that can cure this brokenness that exists in the world because we are part of the problem. We are broken. We are the problem. But God 
promised to redeem his people. He promised to save the world. And he promised to save the world through one of Abraham's descendants, through his son. He had to have a son. A son that would bear the seed of the promise, that would be the seed. This son would be the savior for Abraham's family. This savior would be the savior for his clan. And he would act as the leader, and he would pass on his values to the next generation. And if the savior does not come through him, then the next generation, there will be a son. And that savior, that son would be the leader and the, and the quote-unquote savior of the family and the clan. He would bear the promise until eventually the ultimate savior would come. Now, the thing is, Abraham had two sons. But only one would bear the seed. One would bear the seed, and that was Isaac. And Isaac, he marries Rebekah. But here's the rub. Rebekah has twins. Rebekah has twins. The elder is Esau. He comes out first, and then there's Jacob, the other. So who's going to be the seed? Now, this passage is close to the end of Isaac's life. He's blind. He can't see. He tells Esau to go out and hunt game and prepare this meal so that he could receive the blessing before he dies. Esau was Isaac's favorite. Abraham doted on Isaac. And now you have Isaac doting on Esau in the same way. Esau must be the redeemer. He's my favorite. He must be the seed. He came out first. He must be the seed. But Rebekah, Rebekah's upset because Isaac loved Esau more and Esau wasn't Rebekah's favorite. And so she schemes. She dresses Jacob up. She dresses him to look like Esau, puts, on, puts fur on him so that he would feel like Esau, prepares game for him so that he would uh, obey like Esau and smell like Esau. And this way, Jacob can take the blessing for himself. That's the story. The Bible is definitely not about role models, definitely not about uh, becoming like these people, clearly because what you see is brokenness and sin and manipulation and deceit, all within the context of the family of God's people. People constantly breaking things and breaking each other's hearts. There are four points today that we're going to look at very quickly, four points. The first is, what is the blessing? Two, why do we need it? Three, how do we try to get it? And four, how do you really get it? What is the blessing? Why do you need it? How do we try to get it, and how do you really get it? First, we're going to look at what is it? What's the blessing? Rebecca and Jacob, they knew that Esau would eventually show up and that Isaac would eventually find out, so they had to act. They had to act fast. They had to act fast to get this blessing. What is this blessing? Esau says in verse 34, bless me too. I mean, you can take it back, right? Bless me too. And Isaac says, it's too late. It's too late. Jacob took it. And it's only going to go to one person. Why didn't Isaac just say, you know what? Jacob deceived me. He lied to me. He's a cheater. Now I take it all back, and now I'm going to give it to you. Why didn't he just do that? It's so nuanced. He says, I can't take it back. Indeed, he will be blessed. I've already sustained him with the wine and the grain. It's sealed. What's the blessing? Commentators say this. They say that blessings are a symbolic gesture. They're symbolic gestures of an endowment of power. That these words that are formally said to a person from somebody who is quote-unquote superior or older or, or more experienced, that has a power that abides in you and has a power to shape your life. In other words, to put it plainly, your words have the power to make or break another soul. 
Words have incredible power to make or break another soul. Words of affirmation or condemnation. Once they get in you, they pass into you. They become a part of you. The ancients, they knew that. The ancients absolutely knew that. And it's true. I mean, isn't it true? Take somebody that you greatly respect. Take somebody that you greatly adore, that you're in awe of, that you love. Maybe it's a girlfriend. Maybe it's a boyfriend. Maybe it's a spouse or a parent. Oh, the words of a parent, how important they are. The words of a mentor. You know, our egos are so fragile that even the most casual comments can make or break a person. Then how much more are words that are put forth in an official manner, in an authoritative manner? That's why diplomas are so important. That's why we go to commencement speeches, you know, ceremonies. So important to hear words of affirmation, to say that you are worthy, to say that you are righteous, you are acceptable, and you deserve this. That's what a blessing is. And, and this, essentially, the blessing is an accurate spiritual assessment of who you really are, what a person really is. The use of powerful words, powerful gestures, gifts to encourage someone to grow into what you think they really are. When Isaac blessed Jacob in verses 27 to 29, he knew what he was doing. He was empowering his son with everything that he had amassed. You are the redeemer. I am bestowing and endowing upon you this great understanding that has really traveled for decades and decades and decades from the beginning of time, my son. I'm endowing that to you. You are the one that is chosen that we've hoped for. Verse 29, may nations serve you. Be Lord over your brothers. May those who curse you be cursed, and may those who bless you be blessed. Wow, that's a blessing. What, that's what it is. Now, the second point is, we all deeply want this. We all deeply want this. We need this. We need the affirmation of people we love and respect. We need their empowerment, and here's why. Because you can't bless yourself. You can't assess yourself accurately. You can't affirm yourself. You can't validate yourself in a way that you will be satisfied. You will never be able to assess or be satisfied with your own personal assessment of yourself. You understand that? Take an artist, any artist. Take any musician, any doctor or analyst, a scientist, teachers, Pastors, businessmen, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter who you are. We all like to say, well, I don't care what other people think of me. You know, I don't care what other people think about me. What matters is what I think of myself. I don't care what other people think, but you do, you see. You absolutely do. And in a way, you need to care about what other people think because you cannot, you absolutely cannot bless yourself. Think about this. We say, you know, everybody in the world thinks I'm just okay but it doesn't matter. I think I'm pretty. Everybody in the world thinks I'm okay, but I, you know, I'm a good person. There are people out there who think I'm a terrible person, but I'm a good person. There are people out there who think I'm not capable, but I am absolutely capable. Does that work for you? No, you know it doesn't work. You know what you need? You need a beautiful person in your life to tell you you're beautiful. That's what you need. You need a capable, talented person in your life in an official, authoritative way to say, you are capable, you are absolutely talented. You need an intelligent person in your life to tell you, you are a brilliant person. That's why Facebook works. You see, 
It's why you have influencers in the world today. It's why we use Yelp. There's no chef in the world, no credible chef at least. There's no chef in the world. There's no restaurant in the world that says, come here, we think we're pretty good. We gave ourselves five stars. That's called promotion. That's called advertisement. But it's not validation. It's not affirmation. We all need affirmation. We all need validation. We need it from our mothers. We work tirelessly for our parents because of our parents. We need that affirmation from our father and our our mother, our mentors, our partners, our directors, our spouses, our significant others, and their words pass into us. Their words shape us. Their word makes us, and their words can break us. You see, Isaac, he hears Jacob, and he asks, who is it? What he's saying is, what is your identity? Who are you? And Jacob says in verse 19, I am Esau, your firstborn. Jacob is absolutely fixated on this notion of being the firstborn son. Why? It's because in ancient times, it was a patriarchal society. And and they had no banks back then. There were no 401ks back then. There was no retirement income back then. The best way to centralize your wealth was to take your wealth and centralize it around the eldest son, the firstborn son. He would receive this inheritance And after the family, after the parents pass away, he would bear the responsibility of distributing that wealth appropriately among his siblings and the rest of his family so that the the inheritance would continue and that it would grow. He would steward over that wealth. Primogeniture, right? The entire family was wrapped up around the firstborn son. All ancient cultures practiced it. All Asian cultures practiced it. All cultures in the Near East. But in this family in particular, because that concept was tied around, God had taken this very societal concept of primogeniture, and he wrapped it around his promise to destroy evil, his promise to redeem and save the world. And Isaac, he loved Esau. He just loved Esau. And that love, it corroded his son, Jacob. It absolutely, Jacob resented his father. He resented his brother because of that blessing. Isaac, he saw himself in Esau. He was looking at the externals. He saw that he was a hunter and he was a gamer. He was strong. He was determined. He was wise. He was intuitive. And and so he must be the seed. He has to be the seed. Why would God choose anybody else? This is the prime person you would want as a leader. And so over the years, Isaac gave an informal affirmation, informal blessing towards his firstborn. He doted on his son. He just absolutely adored his son. He's basically saying, you know, there's no one like you. You are a beautiful son. There's no one like you. And Jacob, looking at that, watching that growing up, absolutely resented that. Having this uniquely valuable person in your life this uniquely majestic person in your life saying, you are uniquely, majestically beautiful to me. That's what Jacob wanted. In 1982, the NCAA basketball championships, just over 17 seconds left in the game. UNC against Georgetown. UNC was down one point. 17 seconds left in the game, in a game that had 15 lead changes throughout the game. UNC calls a timeout, 17 seconds. Legendary coach Dean Smith, he draws up a play. Who's going to get the ball? Who's going to take the shot? Who's going to save the team and the school and the city? It should have been James Worthy. 
He was a junior. He was mature. He was placed in those situations before. It should have been Sam Perkins. Sam Perkins in the NCAA Hall of Fame, I believe, right? Older, mature. Coach Smith turns to a freshman, scrawny freshman named Michael Jordan. And apparently in the huddle, he looks over James Worthy, he looks past Sam Perkins. He turns to Michael, and basically he says two words, make it. And he does. 15 seconds left in the game. He hits that jumper. And today, the rest is history because we all know Michael Jordan today, arguably one of the most visible and greatest players of all time. And yet, Michael Jordan says that affirmation from that legendary coach shaped his life. Jacob, Jacob saying, I've never received that. I never got that. I can be that. I can be the firstborn. In other words, I'm meant to be Esau. Give me the former formal blessing. I can do what he does. I can be what he is. I can make you proud. I can be what you want me to be. I want it. I need it. I crave it. We all want it. We all need it. We're working desperately. I see your Instagrams. We're working desperately for that affirmation because it shapes our lives. You see, it shapes our lives, but it poisons our families. It uplifts our children as much as it destroys our children. It makes us as much as it breaks us. We all need it. How do we try to get it? That's a third point. You see, the way we get it is very simple. We get it by, because we know we're inadequate. <laughs> Deep inside, we know we're inadequate. So we all dress up like somebody else. That's what we do. That's what Jacob did. Jacob dressed up like Esau. He couldn't be Esau, not really, right? And so Jacob dressed up like him. He puts on fur like Esau. He changed his voice like Esau, even though the text says that he still sounded like Jacob. He just couldn't be himself. He absolutely just, there's no way I could get by being who I am. So what he did was he kind of repressed, he hid himself. He covered over himself. He felt that himself, that was ugly. That was, that was shameful. That's not going to get him anywhere. It made him feel inadequate. And so he's constantly acting like something that he wasn't because he never felt good enough to receive his father's love as he was. And we're all like that. Every one of us is like that. We don't let people see who we really are. We don't let people into our weaknesses. We don't let people into our fears. We don't let people into our brokenness. This week, without a doubt, I'm absol I absolutely know, this week there are people here because they can't admit their flaws, because they can't own their flaws, because they can't confess their sins committed, because they can't even see, because they refuse to see the, own, the depths of their own sin, they put on the clothes of righteous people, and what they do is, you know how you feel, you know how you come off the most righteous? When you accuse other people what they are and what they do. When you blame, you don't even have to accuse them to their face. You just blame people for who they are and what they do, you see? It makes you feel better about yourself. It's a disguise. Look at our jobs. There are careers. Some of us are in careers we absolutely hate. We can't stand our jobs. We can't stand our careers, Right? But you can't leave your career, you can't leave your job. Why? Because it gives you status. Because it increases your reputation. It upholds it. People respect you where you are. Your parents are proud of you. You worked real hard to get there. Because your parents are proud of you, it makes you proud. 
and it gives you a sense of worth. It validates you. It affirms you. Look at our relationships. That's a disguise, right? Look at our relationships. We say, if I can just get that one person, if I can just get that one person who loves me and tells me that I'm uniquely beautiful, that's the affirmation I need. That's what I'm going to need to survive. So you know what you literally, you literally dress up like someone you're not. And you put yourself out there and you want to look polished. And you do things sometimes that you are absolutely ashamed of, that you never would have done had this not been the case, this not been your desire. And, and there's some people here, some people just hear what I say, and they say, well, I'm actually working against my parents' approval. I don't know what you mean by that. You say, I don't really care what my parents think. But you do. You know why? It's why you're angry. It's why you rebel against your parents. It's because you want them to say, I love you. You want them to say, I respect you. You want them to say, you know, you are wise, wiser than I thought. You knew better. Or maybe it's just another way of punishing your parents. Another way of punishing your parents because you really hated the way you were brought up. You see that? But they still have a power over you. They still have a power over you. They still, in a way, control you. And you're still, as a, you're still that child that's still working for their affirmation and love. You're, you're in a disguise. If you look in the church, uh, some of us are dressing up like Christians. But in actuality, you're using the church because you're lonely. You're using the church because you need friends. It gives you a social thrill. You know? But what the church calls you to do is to be honest about yourself, about how childish you can be, how petty you can be. And I'm not talking about in general. We all admit that we're sinful generally. If you're in this church and you've been here enough, you're going to get that. But when someone calls you out on a sin or someone tries to allude to some sin, we get very, very defensive. That's when the guards go up, don't they? And so what we do is, uh, you know, we hide our selfishness. We hide our manipulative ways how manipulative we can be, and how addicted we are to the praise and respect of other people at the same time. Look, I'm going to tell you something. People aren't coming close to you because they're so clicky, even though they probably are clicky, right? Um, But maybe it's because in the church, and especially in this generation, people are just looking for honesty and authenticity, but you pick and choose what you want to show and what to hide. You're dishonest. And people can spot dishonest people. That's why. It's a disguise. And the gossip. Oh, the gossip, right? We love pointing out other people's flaws and sins because it's our way of hiding. It's a better way to hide our own guilt, to find somebody who's worse than us, right? We desperately want the the acceptance of others, but we don't want to expose our own ugliness. And at the same time, we don't want to give it up. And so we put on the fur, in a sense, and we put on the smell And we put on the service and the voice of a Christian like Esau. Right? That's what Isaac did with Esau. And that's age old. Ever since the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, when they chose to rebel against God and they chose to distrust God, they lost the approval of God. What happened? They realized they were naked. They realized they were naked and it brought them shame. And so what do they do? 
Did they go to God and say, here I am, please help me, save me? No, what they did was they took fig leaves and they covered themselves, these inadequate ways of covering themselves, and then they hid, and they hid from God, you see? Naked, nakedness and shame have been there ever since sin entered into our lives. And so in verse 18 and 19, Jacob he brings a meal. Verses 20 to 22, he tries to sound like Esau. And, and his dad realizes, it sounds like Jacob, you see? Verse 23, he feels, you know, Isaac touches him. He feels like Esau. Verse 25, he stirs. He prepares this food like Esau. Verse 27, he smells like Esau. And Isaac responds to Jacob in a way that Jacob never experienced before. Finally, Jacob gets the intimacy. Finally, he gets the affirmation and the doting that's been so elusive all of his life. This is what it feels like, he says. Verse 26, he says, come to me and kiss me like my son. Finally, he gets to get that close to his father. He gets to get, give him the kiss, the way the favorite son could kiss him. He gets the intimacy, and he hears the words. Finally, he hears those words. Verses 27 to 29. And the moment he hears it, he takes off. He succeeded. He runs. That's what we do, don't we? We tend to dress up. We get close enough, but we're not going to get caught, right? We're going to run. Does he feel good about himself? No. I mean, you're going to see this in chapters, right? And then there's Esau, verses 30 and on. Esau shows up, and Esau wants blood. He wants to kill his brother, doesn't he? His life has been distorted by his pride, and it's made him a very angry person. Why? Because really what you are seeing here in these two sons are two ways that we all try to, to get the blessing. One, you could be like Jacob. We tend to lie, manipulate other people. We're trying to cheat people of the blessing. Or two, we're like Esau. We work hard and we labor and we serve our hearts out. We're good boys. We're good girls, you see. And that's how we're going to take the blessing. That's how we're gonna, that's, that's how, that way we can earn it. If you're like Jacob, you're constantly going to share the sides of yourself, the best sides of yourself, the sides that mimic what good people are like, acceptable people are like. What you're really doing is you're lying. You're, and you're working hard to lie, to keep up that lie. And you're constantly working to manipulate. It's labor. It's hard work. If you're like Esau, you're constantly serving and you're working. But really what you're doing is you're working and you're serving to really manipulate other people into believing you're something that you're really not. You see, what are the symptoms? Both Jacob, both Jacob and Esau, they're bitter. Both of them are resentful. Neither of them knew where they really stood with their father. And both of them are constantly working and both of them are constantly manipulating and lying to other people. You see that? And as a result, we are a tired and overworked and anxious and depressed generation because we say that we want authenticity on one end. We say that we're looking and craving authenticity, and yet what we want is that authenticity without being authentic ourselves. You see that? We're wearing disguises. What's the result? Brother against brother. Isaac, in a sense, loses his favorite son. Rebecca loses her favorite son. A sense because now he's on a run 
Jacob loses his entire family, loses his friends, loses everything, loses the wealth that was managed in the house. He's got to go. And, uh, and there are lots of lessons here. I'm going to go very quick. They're very intuitive, but also very, very explicit, right? Just a few. One, for those of you who are parents here, you've got to do better. Parents, stop trying, to, stop, stop trying just to shape people's behaviors. You've got to get into their sin. I get that you love your children. I get that you adore your children. But if you really love your children, wouldn't you want them to grow up with character, with good character? We are so concerned about their futures to the degree that it overrides their character. When you should be caring about their character, even if it overrides your current concern for their future. You get that? Two, friends, you got to be careful. Right? I'm learning this for that matter. As a person of authority, I'm learning about this. Words have the power to heal and to build, but they also have the power to cut down and destroy. You got to be careful with your words. Thirdly, if you're really looking for authentic relationships, my advice is that you should assume that people can see your lies because they probably do. You should assume that people can see your lies. At the least, God sees your lies. And focus on coming clean versus just trying to come out clean. You get that? I'm going to say it again because it's important. All right? I want you to focus on coming clean versus just trying to come out clean. Now, you can't just, I mean, if you've been at Metro even for six months, right? You can't just end the sermon here uh, and walk away with a few moral lessons, right? Because, I mean, first of all, look at the text. Is that who got blessed, the moral one? That's not who got blessed, right? God chose to bless the most screwed up member of this family. So you can't end that sermon here. That was just a, that was just a few pieces of advice that we can draw from this text, okay? But let's move on here into verse 33. When it dawned on Isaac that Jacob took the blessing, it says that Isaac trembled violently, and he says, indeed, he will be blessed. What he's saying is, yes, I get it. Jacob's a liar, and I'm angry about it, and I'm sad about it. Yes, I get it. He's a fraud. Yes, I get it. He's a thief, but he must have been the chosen one. All my life, I tried to push aside God's agenda. I tried to steer God's agenda towards Esau. I'm really trying to make a case for him, but I was wrong. One Isaac was beginning to realize that even though Jacob is a liar, even though he's a thief, God chooses to work through the liars and the thieves, the weaker person, the younger person, the uglier person. And throughout the pattern of history in biblical history from Genesis all the way into Jesus, you see that even Jesus himself was not somebody that people regarded highly or that he would have stood out in any particular way. That's what Isaiah chapter 53 says. You see? That God always favors the younger and the weaker and the barren and the poor. And if God can work through somebody who is just morally depraved like Jacob, you don't think that he could work through you? You don't think that he could work through somebody like you? I get it. Sometimes we're overlooked. Sometimes you may be rejected. Sometimes you feel like you're being passed over. And, and you just want to kind of run away from yourself. First of all, there's no surprise you know, I'm telling you, there are people around you that already know 
that you're living lies. They already know. But what's more important is that God is doing 10,000 things right now through those lies. God is doing 10,000 things for his glory and for your good, your own good. And he's doing it not despite your brokenness, like as if your brokenness is some sort of hindrance in the way that God can kind of barrel through. He works through the brokenness to heal you. He works through the lies to make you more honest. Are you becoming more honest? He works through the ugliness to bring out greatness. There's nothing about Jacob here in this passage that's praiseworthy. There's nothing about this passage that you can say, well, I mean, you can make a case that there's nothing like that, right? In fact, if you actually read this language, read this in the original language, you will gather that the author in his own tone, in his own writing, is actually favoring Esau. Even the author is favoring Esau in this text. He's liked more. There's not a single phrase where you can say, well, I mean, he's kind of a decent guy, right? I mean, we just have to kind of, we kind of feel sorry for him. He's just misunderstood. No, there's nothing like that. It's very, very clear that Jacob is a liar. In fact, that's his name. That's what the name Jacob means. And, and, uh, and <laughs> is Jacob spiritually conscious here at this point? Does he recognize that God is in this? That he senses the presence of God here? Does Jacob, is Jacob seeking God? He doesn't deserve God's love. He's actually resisting God in some ways. He's not even looking for God, not thankful for God. And yet God brings this scandalous intervening grace into Jacob's life when he gives him the blessing. And Isaac is finally starting to grasp this truth, this reality of the foundational understanding of God's grace. And that's when, when Isaac says in verse 33, indeed, he shall be blessed. What he's saying is, I am now in a place, I realize now that I'm going to accept God's wisdom. I'm going to accept God's choice. I couldn't. I resisted it. But I see it now. I've been resisting it all my life here as a father. Isaac realized that he's been fighting against God regarding his sons. He wanted Esau to get that blessing, and now he's surrendering it. You see, when the twins were born, ever since they were born, <clears throat> Jacob came out clutching Esau's heel. And that's why he was given the name liar. It's one who comes from behind. That's what it means. And uh, what Rebecca, when Rebecca, the mother, inquired of this, she was told that, that what that means is that the elder brother will eventually serve the younger brother, and Isaac wasn't going to have it. You see, they knew that Jacob was God's choice, but Isaac went with what was external, what was clear, what was explicit, what was obvious, what was worldly. This person is stronger. He's more of a man. He's a natural leader. He's the firstborn. It's culturally right. You see, it's psychologically right. It makes sense. It's logically correct. You see, now he's saying, I get it. I'm going to abandon those things because I get it. Blessing is by God's sheer grace alone. Salvation is by God's sheer grace alone. He gets it. How do you get it? How will we get it? Esau says, no, we can't do it this way. Isaac says, yes, and indeed it will be so. He surrendered. How do we surrender? Jacob lies. 
When the father says, who are you? Jacob says, I am your firstborn. But Romans chapter 8 says, Jesus Christ is the real firstborn. He's the firstborn among many brothers. What does that mean? In Mark chapter 1, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And as he's being baptized, the Bible says that the heavens opened up and the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And the voice of God, that's the empowerment. And the voice of God says, this is my son whom I love. What God's saying is, look at my son, this uniquely beautiful son. I love my son. God is doting on his son. And that's, what he, that's what's happening. He's affirming his son. He's validating his son. He's blessing him. But on the cross, the son surrenders that blessing. He gives it up. To give up the blessing is to do what? He's giving up the intimacy. He's giving up the love. He's giving up the hope. Before God's words, the Father's words made him. The Father's words shaped Jesus. Now they're empty. They're absent. So on the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't say, my Father, my Father. He says, my God, my God. It's the only time in the Gospels where Jesus doesn't refer to God as his Father. And in that moment, it's because the wrath of God was pouring out on his son, and God had distanced himself from his son. He had abandoned his son, and Jesus Christ was rejected, and he was cursed by the Father. And Romans chapter 8 says that he, as a result, is the greater firstborn son. Why? Why is he greater? Esau is the firstborn, but when he lost the blessing, he said, I'm going to kill my brothers. That's what he said. But Jesus Christ, looking at his brothers, said, I'm going to be killed for them. Why? Jesus Christ will be forsaken by the Father so that you could be received by the Father, so that you could be embraced by the Father. Jesus Christ lost the presence of God so that you could receive the presence of God. In your life, day to day, moment to moment, you can have the blessing of God's presence in your life. Jesus Christ lost the affirmation of God and was rejected by God so that we could be validated and loved by God. God will look at you and say, this is my son. Galatians, that word of encouragement, it's literally a word of encouragement. It says that you are sons. God looks at you and dotes on you as he looks upon Christ. You see? This is the creator of the universe. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know what that means? On the cross, Jesus Christ put on our sin. Jesus is the greater Isaac because what he did was he puts on our sinfulness. He puts on the lies. He puts on the cheating. He puts on the adultery. He puts on the lust. He puts on the stealing and the coveting. He puts on the disregard and the, and the denigrating of God, the abandoning of God. He puts on the distrust of God. He puts on everything. He puts it on so that he looks like us and he smells like us and he feels like us and he, he becomes sin. And he receives the curse like us, like we deserved, so that we in him could become the righteousness of God. We would be loved by God and adorned by God and, and just, just doted on by God. Look at the love of Jesus. Look at, the, look at the grace of Jesus. Look at the gentleness, the goodness, and the faithfulness of Jesus. And because of that, you're called to worship. In Colossians chapter 3, it says that, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, that's us, that's us, right? Holy and dearly loved, doted on. That means you are blessed. And he says what? 
clothe yourselves, like Isaac, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness. In other words, I want you to put on Christ. You can stop hiding from God because the Holy Spirit resides in you and is making you from the inside out more like Christ, more like Jesus. That beautiful Jesus that you see here, he's making you more like him. Are you ugly? Do you feel ugly at times? You're becoming more like Christ. Abandon the externals in that sense. That gentleness and faithfulness of Jesus Do you find yourself just raggedy and angry all the time? You can become gentle and faithful like Jesus because the Holy Spirit is making you, putting on an eternal robe. Revelation talks about an eternal robe of glory, you see. Stop fighting God. Stop trying to use your looks to get there. Stop trying to use your talents and gifts to get in. Stop using everything as a way of lying and manipulating yourselves. It starts from when you have your first date. You lie, you manipulate yourself, manipulate your way in. That's what you're trying to do, right? A lot of us try to do that. Hopefully not. You're already in. Stop trying to come out clean. You're clean. Look at the beauty of God. Look at the beauty of Jesus, the sacrificial kingliness of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus. There is no one more perfect and acceptable, no one more loving and gracious, no one more forgiving than Jesus. Believe in him and you are clothed in him. The gospel says God accepts me not on the basis of what I've done, but on the basis of what he has done. Jesus, God accepts me not on the basis of my record, but on the basis of Jesus' record. God accepts me not on the basis of my merit, but on the basis of Jesus' merit. And when Jesus clothes us with himself, he, first of all, when Jesus clothes himself with us, he's not cheating or lying. What he's doing is he's substituting. And we, when in him, when we are clothing ourselves in Christ, it is a double substitution. Jesus has paid down our sin and taken it away. Only he can do it, only he would do it, and he gladly, lovingly did that for you. And because he did that, God sees you and says, there is no one like you. You are uniquely loved. By the way, that's what it means to be holy. It means to be set apart. You are set apart for me and uniquely loved. That's the only validation you need, right? You have the most beautiful, the most talented, the wisest, the most powerful person in the world bringing you in and saying, you are beautiful. I'm going to make you great. That's the only affirmation and validation you need. Words can break you, but they can heal you. They have tremendous power. Will you trust in the promises of God? Trust Jesus' word and let the gospel heal you. Let it heal you spiritually and psychologically and emotionally in every way. Let's do that. Let's pray.